Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S. Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. Long time, G. Yeah. Long, long, long time, bro. Long, long. I'm just trying to set this up. No. I know it's just just getting used to the whole like Skype and Zoom world right now. We've had like six, seven months now to get accustomed to it. It's all good. Tell me, man, what Skype, you're not a Zoom fan, yeah? You're not a Zoom... Do you know what? I haven't really used Zoom that much, funny enough, because I know a lot of people have been using Zoom for, like, work-related stuff and business mm. during the whole lockdown, but mm. I've stayed I've stayed on Skype and Teams. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's a strange one. So whenever someone tells me Zoom, I'm like, oh, what do I do now? What do I do now? I'm under pressure now. <laughs> Bro, I, I, I might have to convert you to Zoom, man. I think yeah, it's the way forward. It's the way forward, man. Skype has fell off. It's like Arsenal, man. You know, we love yeah. the old school Burkamp and that. We're yeah. there. We're not quite there. It's all about Liverpool, man. And Zoom is like <laughs> Liverpool telecommunications, my brother. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. What have you been up to, though, man? We haven't really sat down and had talk for about seven months now, I think, since the last time we caught up. So much has happened as well. I know. It's exploding in a good way. It's happy problems. As I said, yeah. bro, looking at Chadwick, looking at all the madness in the world, bro. Yeah. I'm well touch wood families well i can't complain brother so it's one of them ones where um yeah it's been doing well i'm working with the neu now so yeah they've yeah they've asked me to come and and help out and yeah the the book is doing well and you know i'm on a lot of conference yeah man it's it's, since you saw me it's just it's it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger man And I see you've you been more active now on social media because remember we were talking about before about your, your lack of presence on social media, but I see that you're gradually just coming out of it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what it is? It's the way forward. And you know, mm. with COVID, you know what? Actually, the last time I remember, this was December 2019, right? Yeah. It's a different world, bro. It's, it's a different a, world. It's a completely. completely. I'm, I don't know if we'll talk about it in the actual poddy, but yeah. it's different. 2019 feels like five years ago. Yeah. Honestly, it feels like five years ago, and I realized that, and I want to talk about that obviously in the puddy as well. That no, definitely changed, bro. And I'll just drop some science. It's like, you know, um, there's a lot of softwares that teachers use, like show my homework and yeah. stuff like that. And what the one of the developers was saying was that they're saying COVID nineteen. They they went to the schools and said, look, use these digital softwares and digital classrooms. Mm-hmm. And most teachers were reluctant because. COVID-19 has advanced their course by, course by 20 years. Oh, wow. Like everybody's had to convert. You, you yeah. To this point, if without COVID-19, it probably would have taken a decade for schools yeah. to become so active. Yeah. So we're, lit- we're in a different world, and it's about what my passion is. But I look at the education, but, you know, I feel a bit prophetic because I think a lot of the things I was talking about with you in the last puddy, Mm. what's happening in education it's kind yeah, of the classroom and everything else yeah yeah exactly so it's kind of come true so i feel like yo there's so many things it's it's, it's crazy but i'm sure we'll get into it we'll no, but it's, i mean as long as you're healthy the family's look is all good and healthy we thank god for that man well we thank god man as i yeah. said chadwick bruv that hit that that hit, i know that, that hit a bit hard bruv it do, hit, do you know it, what it, 
it's it, it hit me so because the thing is yeah i mean i mean we always get this every year where like you get like a prominent celebrity or an individual that everyone's well connected to that passes away and everyone puts out all the all the kind words in regards to that person but I think with Chadwick, he hit me a bit different. And I was comparing mm. it. I know you don't compare deaths because morality and, and deaths is all the same when you look at it. Mm. But um, the impact I feel like Chadwick had on me personally mm. was more impactful than any of the more recent ones that were mentioned when in relation to celebrities. And mm. uh, it, it, start, it started a conversation between me and my mates in regards to like just impact and w- w- the legacy that we leave and, and mm. the, the worth of your work and stuff like that. Mm. And the way I've done it is like, I played it back to, so whenever anything like that happens, I always try to play it back to the last time I had an engagement with that individual. Mm. And I remember exactly how I felt like when I came out from watching Black Panther. Panther. I remember the, I remember the emotions very, very clearly. <laughs> like I even put a post up on my Instagram. I was like, look, impact is everything. Cause I remember every single emotion I felt. I remember feeling gassed coming out of that cinema. Like, yo, like, like, I'm a part of Wakanda right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I feel it. Just that was the salute. You know? I, I'm telling you. And it's like, just that impact alone, how that makes you feel as like a young black man and seeing like a, a, a positive African depiction well. of a black universe as such was, was beautiful, man. And being an African as well. because Yeah, definitely. We've had superheroes before. We've had all these. But I said, no, but we haven't had an African superhero. Mm. Not an African-American and even if you look at the superheroes, who have we had? We've had Blade, Wisecracking, Chopping, <laughs> yeah. Shaft, Shaft, Luke Cage, basically Luke Cage. Uh, a mutant Shaft, basically he's walking yeah, around. Yeah, he's from the hood. But this mm. guy was royalty, and he showed it was just. And what I said to people, one thing I don't like though, is people are trying to make him a saint. You understand? Like he was like a, a saint because we're all human and flawed. You understand? Like yeah. he went to visit kids, and he was a magical when he breathed. You know, ice, you know, um, sparkles came out of his mouth. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going down that route. But what I'm saying was that I've never seen an image like that on the screen. Yeah. And the image that he portrayed, I know he had other roles. And, you know, Jack, I haven't seen Jackie Robinson. I'm not going to go there. But for me, when I look at Black Panther, I've never seen or felt that way. And it's yeah. not just about his character. It was the kente cloths. It was mm. the traditions. It was the accents. When have you ever seen out of, of of Nollywood, you know, Africans being presented that way? We're no, not never. The, we're not the jokes. We are the on, ones on top. And mm-hmm. it was such a unique vision. And I think why people are mourning is that we, we, we even if they get another Black Panther in, they're talking about recasting because it's, mm-hmm. it's too much. It made too much money. Yeah. The same magic. It was like lightning in a bottle. And I think yeah. that's why people are mourning. Because Chadwick bought that lightning. He was our, you know, I would say he's our generation's Denzel, or he was going to, on that course. Yeah, definitely. He seemed like he was going on that course. Yeah. And, 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 and I think the shocking element as well was the fact that he kept it like low key for four solid years. And and he was he made all of those movies during that whole period as well. And everyone was talking about the the live that he done, and he looks extremely ill. And people yeah. making jokes and comments about it, not mm. knowing that he was actually going through something, something mm-hmm. severe. So the whole thing was shocking, man. Definitely, but shocking. I mean, yeah. I, I definitely my prayers goes out to his family and all these loved ones. Man. Definitely, and I think I think another reason why it's tragic. I think it's this year is kind of like a perfect storm for a lot of things mm. because of George Floyd. I wonder if George Floyd, if it was like 2018 where it wasn't that bad. No, I can't even say because it it's always been murders. But even yeah. with George Floyd, I think the reason why people reacted the way they did, most people around the world have been in lockdown. Yeah. And that was a straw that broke the cam- camel's back. It's not just George Floyd. And I think the reason why we 
especially those who are from the diaspora, the black people, were very upset was because we've had all, you know, you can juxtapose George Floyd seeing him dying mm. versus, you know, T'Challa, Black Panther. And it's that image of oppression. We're still mm. oppressed. And I know it's a fantasy. You know, Black Panther is a fantasy like Game of Thrones, but it was just something we could look at and think, what if, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. it's an image that I think Chadwick and the way he carried himself as well was what people miss. And, you know, RIP to him. And yeah. I, I hope his family most know. definitely. I mean, the, I mean, I, I wonder, I wonder how the film twenty twenty is gonna look like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wonder what angle it's gonna come at because it's it's been it's been ridiculous of a roller coaster. Like it's, it seems surreal, and I definitely think, as you mentioned before, the lockdown does play a major part into it because people are locked in, and it's like you're more in tune and more connected to everything that's happening. As soon as a news pops up or something, mm-hmm. you you dig into it. You have all the time in the world. You're not you're not sort of kind of like being um, distracted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's one of the things that people are going to pay more attention to now. Like they 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 lack of distraction and what too much distraction does to the human experience and our and our lack of understanding and experiences of of suffering and of pain and and mm-hmm. of things that's happening outside of our comfort zone. So that was really one thing because I be, I feel like I became more sensitive and more in tune during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. It's like as soon as something happens, you you hear about it, you feel it, it hits yeah. you. You know you're 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 preaching, bro. You're preaching. You're you're definitely speaking to me. And as I said. I feel like if you took the interview we had last year, which yeah. feels like 10 years ago, yeah. it's one. It's in a completely different world. It's literally yeah. the, what happened between December 2019 to now. Mm. If I told you December 2019 and said, Francis, all these things were going to happen, nah. you would never have believed me in a million I would have, I would have believed you. I mean, you're pulling my leg there, bro. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you, it's not happening, man. The whole world got on shutdown, pandemic, <laughs> deaths, riots, <laughs> bloodshed, everything. Nah. August fires, you know, the, the Australian fires, we lost Chadwick, we lost Colby, we lost yeah. Ty. And not, you know, yeah. for me, the UK scene, a rap. Oh, definitely, yeah. that's my generation as well, yeah. Exactly, you know what I mean? So losing mm. Ty is being insane. So yeah, man, we'll, 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 we'll get into it, man. I don't know, are we doing, is this... Wait, we're starting, you know how let's do humans work, yeah. man. We start once we start. Intros <laughs> and that, so yeah, just... yeah. Do that. No, definitely call, man. So it's, they know who's he's talking. Definitely. No well, I mean, obviously, I'd like to obviously give you the official, like, intro as well, man. We've got the action, action hero, action hero himself, Mr. Carl Pupe, man. The, the amazing teacher, the, the classroom mentor, the, the, the guy for, for, for the classroom when it comes to, like, inducting teachers into the, um, the world of, like, diverse classrooms and individuals and children and kids' behavioral and mm. stuff like that and you've got an amazing book man i've got the book right here man oh thank you bro actually you're a teacher man like I've, I've been pushing it to all my friends who, who teach and stuff like that as well been telling them about the great work that you're doing and all the stuff that you've been pushing out there as well but um how's it been in like in terms of your line of work like how's it been during this whole period absolutely insane so for me we only went back to school to i'm trying to think yeah for me we only went back to school two days ago oh wow so at the time yeah. of this recording we've been off school for five months. So yeah. obviously what we've been doing is we went, everything went online, online learning and teaching and setting assignments and stuff like that. So everything went online. So this is the first time we've had face-to-face contact. But as I was saying, it's, it, I'm not going to lie to to you or your viewers. It's been quite dystopian. Um, yeah. So we went into school and it's not only my school, my particular school, 
it's all schools. So the social distancing, the sanitizing, the constant cleaning, mm. um, you know, we've had to change the route. So in my particular school is quite large. It's got uh, intake of um, just shy of 1,600 children. Yeah. We've had to change the whole way that we walk, measured everything, water fountains, you know, we can't use water fountains. Um, the things that we're telling the kids as well, it's just been, it's, 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 it's complete. It's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, I've been in the education game for almost well ten years now. Uh, obviously, I went to school, but it's it's surreal. It's absolutely surreal, and I'm still imagine. trying to process it. So, kids, you know, back in the day, the, the, you know, the playground would open and all the kids would come out, and everybody yeah. can't do that anymore. Oh, it's, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, how does how does it work in terms of like break time? So, in my particular school. Um, because it's quite large, so I can't speak for every single school in the UK, mm. but because in my particular school, how it works is we zone. So basically, and I think most schools are doing this, it's called, um, we put it in year bubbles. So basically, so if you've got a year seven, year seven stay all together. Yeah. Year eight stay all together in a di- different part of the building. Year nine stay all together. So what we oh, do okay. is they will have two lunches. So for example, you have year seven and year nine, but it'll be in completely different sides of, of oh, the wow. school. And because our school's quite large, we can do that. Um, So, for example, you know, before in your, you know, when you went to school, you had the English corridor, you had the art corridor, the maths corridor, that's all gone. Well, obviously all the equipment and stuff are there, but now it's designated by year. So each year has a floor. And what we're trying to do or what schools have been told or advised by the government to do is basically to keep everybody in one year bubble Mm -hmm. so that they're not intermixing. And what we're trying to do as well. So whereas before, just say you're a kid. You had maths in the, uh, in a one building and you had English in one building. Um, and obviously the kid will walk from the one building to the yeah. other building. Don't do that anymore. So what's oh, wow. happening is, instead of, as I said, the English corridor, all the kids will have their lessons. It's almost like primary school. So all the kids will have their lessons either on that floor or in the same classroom. And it's the teachers that will be walking around to each yeah. And it's gained to minimise transmission and to minimise contact. Um, that's the most important thing. Um, so it's been getting our head around it because this is a completely new system. And again, at this time of obviously recording, the government, you know, they're constantly, they're changing things every single day. We're getting new. And to be honest, the government advice is, is poor. We're going to get into that because there, there's a lot of things I wanted to ask in relation to like oh. your thoughts about the government and the, the, their education, the education system and all the various changes that's been going on. And mm. it's been chopping changes. It's, it's just flipping all, all mm. the way up. So isn't it quite claustrophobic, though, having like a whole year group in one building? I mean, how's, how's that been? How's that worked out? Or the buildings that big? I mean, for, for our ones, again, because. Because we've got quite a large school, um, so we've got a lot of buildings. And again, another thing is that what a lot of schools are doing, they're phasing their kids in. So rather than, so back, you know, back in the day, you know, just say 2nd of September, everybody's coming in. From what I understand with a lot of schools, they're they're phasing the kids in. So just say, yeah, so for example, tomorrow will just be year sevens. That's it. Mm. And then we'll add and add and add. Because remember, this is new for the schools as well. So we're trying to see... Um, how it's going to cope, how it's going to work. Because again, there's logistical problems. So just say you've got a family where one kid's in year nine and one kid's in year seven. How do you manage? So for example, another thing that um, a lot of schools are doing is they're doing staggered starts. So just say year seven start at 8.30. So basically the younger years start earlier, the later years start later. So year 11s could come in at 9.30. How do you manage that? So just say the two kids get dropped off at school. You've got someone in year seven. And so... Uh, that's an 11-year-old, and you've got someone in year 11 who is 15 to 16 years of age. Mm-hmm. What do you do then? 
And these are all the logistical things that we kind of got to deal with because what we're trying to do or what schools have been told to do is we're kind of, we're trying to, again, stagger and we're trying to stop the flow. So, for example, when the school's over, we've got 2,000 kids all going to the bus stop. Now, yeah. stagger it. Instead of having 2,000 kids at one go, that will fill up the whole bus. Because, as you know, even buses now are not running on full capacity. Yeah. Because we've got to allow for the two metres distance. We're going to have... I don't know, if we finish school at, not my school, but just say, for example, one group finishes at three, one group finishes at, I don't know, three, thirty, and one group finishes at four. Yeah. You're, you're staggering it, so you're, stop, you're, you're, you're stopping the flow, the maximum footfall mm. should, you know, be easier. And it, again, avoids that contact. But again, we're, for schools, we're in, a, we're in a different world. This is completely new to us. Yeah. We're just trying to cope the very best that we can. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the pain of the teachers because mm-hmm. I, I struggled with it. I, I just went back to the gym for the first time this week and wow. I struggled with the simple process of following those lines and, <laughs> and having to wipe down and clean everything after using it. So I can only imagine how he's in the school having kids who are like hyperactive and got all the energy in the world. It must be extremely excruciating trying to deal with that. It's crazy. And the thing is, so what the government have said, but again, um, the advice so you've got something called the sage group which is basically a group of scientists and doctors that work with the government basically and they're the ones that are giving their coronavirus advice and doing all the research but then you've got a group of other scientists that call themselves the independent sage group so these are other prominent doctors who are kind of like the way to describe it is for me the way i see it is no like you've got the conservatives who are in power Mm. and then you've got the labor party at the moment the opposition who checks what the government is doing so Sage would say, for example, or I've forgotten the name of the official doctor. It's escaped me now. The official, the main guy that speaks. He said, like, transmission rates between, you know, kids is relatively low. So yeah. adults were safe. But then another group of scientists say, well, older, older children, especially secondary school children, are mm. similar to adults. So we, we're in complete, like a no man's land. And as we said, yeah. again, we're getting reports. They said BAME is at risk. Yeah. The government because okay so they've done a report where the government said like BAME so black and uh, minority ethnic people are at risk and they've made suggestions that we need to you know be more careful and whatnot but because they haven't said look we we need you guys to shield or we need you guys like have a, a definitive line we're all going the schools are basically being left to themselves to kind of figure out the guidance so it's kind of like we're trying our best to 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 follow the guidelines but because is, is, is not very is vague. And yeah. what I'm saying is that every school is different, so we can't give definitive things for every single school. Yeah. So we're giving you guidelines to kind of for you guys to kind of figure it out yourself, as long yeah. as you're compliant. But on the other hand, it's just whereas you look at German schools and other European schools, they're not running like we are. Mm. That's why they're saying that Gavin Williamson, you know, that you should get sacked because it's just, it's mayhem. It's yeah. mayhem at the yeah. moment. I think, as you mentioned, having like two separate bodies looking after one thing, because mm. the thing is, then it, then it comes down to like what suits your agenda. So you're always going to have contradicting ideas because on one side, the Labour's agenda and um, mm. Conservatives agenda is completely different. So they're going to find information that serves their purpose. And, exactly. and that's, the, that's the problem with like current state of government where you have like just two bodies, two mm. major um, um, structures. Mm. Like they're just competing against uh, with different ideas, so you're never really gonna get down to like a unified 
do you know what I mean? Process or, exactly. or things put in place because everyone have all these contradicting ideas which suits their their, their agenda, and that's a, that's annoying for the ones stuck in the middle that are actually doing the groundwork because it's like where do we go from here? One group is telling us this, another group is telling us this. But again, it's it's not only sadly it's not only education; it's in every sector, and everywhere. Yeah, even get political. I'm not saying conservative or Labour. Would I'm not? I'm just saying the current sitting government at the moment. What's happening? What is it, it's so. And I, and I understand, I'm not just, um, you know, lashing out at the government and cussing them for the sake of cussing them. This is unprecedented. This is, mm. as I was saying to my colleague, this is a once-in-a-lifetime crisis, you know. As, as I think I watched BBC News and, they, News and they said, this is the biggest global crisis since World War II. Mm. You know, being, this is a once-in-a-century crisis. And, you know, again, I feel sorry for any person in power that's having to navigate but as we have seen in other countries, whether it's New Zealand, with Jacinda Ardern, whether it's Germany, although they haven't got it right, there are people that are managing it better than we are. So we've got to be open to that and say, look, we're not really, we're not doing the job, man. You know what I mean? We're not getting a clean sheet here. The fence is all over the place, man. With yeah. Too many goals past us. So that is the issue and that is the concern. And uh, yeah. I haven't seen the kids yet, so... For me, at this time of recording, the first time we get to have even have a look at the kids would be tomorrow. Oh, but wow. So yeah. many, for me, the question marks I've got in my head, and this is what I said to my colleagues, was the morale of the kids. Because when I did speak to the year, well, they're not year 11 anymore. They're now year 12. So the guys mm. got to college to do A-levels. They were devastated. You know, oh. kids were crying. When they cancelled the exams, they were devastated. Even the naughty ones. Even the ones <laughs> yeah. don't want exams. Yeah. don't understand. It's true. But what people don't understand is that, and this is what goes back to what I was saying, I think, in the previous potty. We've been building these kids up to do exams for five years. We've been telling them, you're going to do this exam. 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 And then we take that thing. Everything in their school life has been geared to that one moment. Yeah. Take it away from them. There's a sense of anticlimax. There's mm. a sense of... You know what I mean? It's, it, 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 what, did, what did we work for? Like, what was what all this for? Work, what is the point? Yeah. And then yeah. don't even start, you know, and when we're looking at the whole grading fiasco. Yeah, we, we, we should touch on that, actually. So, I mean, you, you're, 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 you're in the field, so you have a greater understanding of this. But from yeah. my understanding is because the, because the examinations, the exams were cancelled, yeah. they were, they were, there was an algorithm that was created to grade students. Yeah. So uh, I think it was like 36% or so of students were downgraded. 3% mm. were like double. They were downgraded like by two grades. Mm. And then there was another side to it as well, which I'm going to touch on after this. So mm. can you tell us a bit from your standpoint? Yeah, exactly sure. So I'll break it down. So as you, as you said rightly, exams are cancelled. Uh, so again, Gavin mm. Williamson was tasked with how are we going to get these guys grades? They mm. had three options. The first option, which is what Germany mm. did, was that we're going to basically... So, do socially uh, uh, socially distanced exams, mm. right? So what that meant was, you know, um, as me and you both did, and most kids both do, the school hall, the gymnasium, you sit there yeah. for a couple of hours, mm. you do your exam, you give your paper in, job done, right? That was the, you know, that was the, the old school way. But what uh, places like Germany did was say, all right, we'll do it in the classroom. But rather than doing it, so the exam period lasts roughly about three and a half weeks, we're going to make the exam period last about two months. So... If we need, because obviously we can't, you know, because of the classrooms and the placements, it will allow enough time for everybody to get their exams done. That was the first option. Britain didn't take that option. Mm. The second option 
which I can't remember what country, but another European country said is we're just going to delay. We're going to postpone. Yeah, we're going to postpone the exam. So rather than you take it in the summer, maybe you can take it at Christmas. Judging by, you know, what's going on in the world, coronavirus, or maybe we can just push it to another day. We didn't do that. So the, the, the third choice, and this is what um, Ofcall, which I'll talk about in a second, presented Gavin Williamson, was that he said, we can use statistical data and using teachers' input, we can create an algorithm which will kind of act predictively, if that makes any sense, mm. right? And we can, we can determine the grades that way. And that ultimately, that's what the government uh, went and did. So who's Ofcall? Let's explain some things. So you've got your examples like Edexcel and um, ACA or whatnot, what have you. Then you've got something called Ofcall. And I don't, forgot for the life of me what it stands for, but basically it's the watchdog. It's an independent non-governmental body which looks at, so like Ofsted is an independent organization which looks at schools. Ofcall looks at the quality of exams. They're the ones that make sure the exams are proper, if that makes yeah. any sense. So what ended up happening was this. What the schools told us or what the government advised teachers to do is they said, okay, what we need to do, I want you to gather data about your students and I want you to put in the grades, basically what you think they would have got if they sat exams, right? And we looked at a lot of statistical analysis, how much um, people raised. So for example, in a mock exam, what we tend to find with most students is if they got a C, so we've changed it to a number system now. So if you've got a five, which is a C, we expect you, with a bit of work, so between December and July, you can get a, a level, at least a level up, like a, a six, which is a B, or a seven, depending, okay? So what they also asked us to do, which was interesting, was give the predicted grades in a kind of grid and also give a ranking. So you had to rank, so if you've got 30 students in your class, you had to rank them one through to 30, one being the guy who's the top of the class. Or oh, the wow, okay. Class, and 30, obviously, being... That must have been an awful process. It was easier in some cases than others. <laughs> you know them ones we. I know you. I know what you're getting. <laughs> uh, exactly. You know, the pure kids would like sir. sir. I come, know. Yeah, come, yeah. Come, come <laughs> uncle, uncle. Anyway, I was like, nah, none of that. But no, but we had to do it fairly. We couldn't just give them random rankings. We mm. we had to justify it. So it wasn't just like, oh, we just made it from the air. We had to. Well, in our school, there was a process. So we looked at, you know, just say their mock result a standard that what we call a standardized piece of work, which is a work that's just say, it's not an exam, but it's an assessment. It's like a formal assessment where we marked it and graded it and everybody agreed the grade. So we had to enter those. So we, you know, as you said, if there's a teacher that hates a student and he's an A star student, we give him a U, he can't run because we have yeah. evidence as well. But what the government went and did, so we presumed it was going to be on predicted grades. What the government went and did is rather than use the predicted grades, they went on the ranking. And the, in the government, this is how the algorithm works. The government was thinking was this. If you've got a kid who's in, I don't know, Manchester, who's the top of his class, he mm. should get an A or an A star, right? Whereas if you've got a kid in London, it should all, if you looked at the rankings of everybody, they should all be there, thereabouts, if that kind of makes mm. sense. But what, where the, the algorithm went wrong, they went wrong in a couple of things. The algorithm looked at the historical data of the school that you're in. So, mm. and they also looked at the borough as a whole. Okay, oh, so okay. They use Barking, for example. So it will look at the school, just say Barking Abbey that you're in, and it will look at the whole of Barking and Dagenham, and it will look at the historical data. But the reason why it went all Pitong, where it went wrong, was a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's an algorithm, it would not allow for outliers. What does that mean? So if you've got somebody who's in a poor school, just say you're in the worst school 
in the borough, in Barking, I won't name it, but just say you're in the worst school and you're getting A-stars and everybody around you is getting Ds and Es. The algorithm will mark you down because the algorithm will look at the school and say, oh, this is a poor school. Mm. Oh, well, this is a poor area or whatnot, what have you. Or it's, historically, it's not good, good grades. So that A-star then becomes a B because they, they need to standardise it. Yeah? So that's why you had that horror show of people that were getting all A's, but because of the area that they're in and the school that they go to, the grade went down. So that's one thing. Number yes. two, smaller class sizes tended to do, to do better than larger class sizes because of the statistical data. And also, sometimes the algorithm didn't work. And guess who has smaller classes? Private schools. Private schools, yeah. So what we saw was an increase, again, I know there'll be someone in the comments that probably get this. I, I want to make sure I get it right. I think it's a 50% increase. It was 50 from, from, from what I picked up during the whole, like, um, yeah, mm -hmm. fiasco. Yes, yeah. exactly. And because if you've got um, subjects like Latin or classical arts, mm. <laughs> they're more outliers. They will have probably less statistical data. Because if you're only getting three or four people per mm. year doing it compared to maths where there's 30 in a class doing it, the statistical data, it, it skewed the statistical data. So mm. those guys, so again... If you go, go to somewhere in Richmond or Chiswick or whatnot, what have you, and you go to a good school and you're getting a C, the, the algorithm say, oh, you're in a good area, you're in a good school, so we're going to push mm. it to an A. All right? Wow, so it's biased by design. <laughs> off the bat. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I'll be honest with you, before you continue, so w when the whole um, uproar started off and the students were complaining and stuff, mm. um, after everything you've explained now, it, it's, mm. it makes it so much more clearer. Because I, I, de I didn't understand it. I didn't really understand the uproar because I, I was judging it by my own sort of like grade system that I would have possibly achieved if I would have been in school because my predicted grades were, were better than the grades that <laughs> I achieved in the end anyway yeah, exactly. but, but that, that's a whole other case in terms of my own learning difficulty issues but yeah. I, I didn't understand the algorithm and how it worked out because mm -hmm. the way that the algorithm is set up anyway is biased by design is biased by geographical location is biased by class is biased by wealth and everything else based on where you're situated in the world so mm -hmm. that, that was crazy so whoever thought that was a good idea I mean, we all know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, obviously, basically, based on those things, it completely, you know, it screwed up on some people. So, obviously, I was watching the news on the grades. There was one young lady who wanted to be a doctor. I think she was in East London, Leytonstone. Um, and they went to a school in Leytonstone. And all the way through the year, she showed all her grades. She was predicted A's, A's, A's. And then in the end, she got two C's and a D. And it's because of this algorithm. Uh, and what they're saying, so what the government did was they said, the reason why they did the algorithm is because they basically said that there's going to be some teachers who would basically boost up grades artificially. And it was a way to kind of add a check or balance. But the fact that you don't trust the teachers, mm. we are the teachers. And again, it's not like, as, as I was saying, it, when we went through the process, it wasn't like we were just giving random grades. We had to go through a process. We had to standardize the work. We had to evidence what they've done. So it wasn't like we were just saying, ah, oh, that one should be first, that one should be second. Departmentally and school, because we had to be compliant, those are the things that we needed to do. So for me, it showed a massive distrust from the government. So the government scrapped it and said, we're going to go on predicted grades. So they did a U-turn on that. But the problem of that is universities were in the pickle, because now universities are saying, so imagine they give a conditional offer. Like, so that young lady, for example, you, if you get all A's, you can go to Queen Mary or Imperial to study being a doctor. She got C two C's in a D's and a D. Now the university is saying, you know, you failed. So she has to go through clearing. Now the government was saying to appeal, but now that messes up the whole clearing process because none of the universities know what to do. 
universities were like, what the hell do we do now? Because we've got a whole group of people in the pool that shouldn't be in the pool, if that makes sense. So, so universities are in a, in, in a very, very difficult position. So the whole system has just, it's, it's been a mess through, throughout. Yeah, yeah. The whole system is, and, you know, and for me, is again, because maybe because of the book I've wrote or whatnot, I'm thinking in terms of the mindset of the young people. If, imagine you're a young person who's worked and you've got all A's and you're told, and especially, as you said, the people that got punished the most, and this was the most damning thing, were people from the black and minority ethnic community yeah. and the working class as well. You know, imagine all, this whole generation of kids will be thinking the system is against us. The system doesn't like us. Because the appeals process, they said, you know, you can appeal and whatnot, what have you, but how long is that going to take? Yeah, right? and how many, people are they, how many applications are they expecting to get? How are they, how are they going to turn that around? Exactly. So it's all these things, which is, 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 is heartbreaking. And yeah. for me, I think this is, I, I, I don't know if I said it in the original poddy, but I think the education, I think I did say this, but I, now it's in your face. Mm. Education needs reform. The world, the world as we knew it is gone. Mm. It is gone and it's completely <laughs> gone. It's done with, yeah. It's done with. Yeah. Because the thing is, you've got to look at it. And again, I'm a man that likes to look at not just one set of data or one area. Although I work in education, I like to look at it, try and look at it from the most holistic way possible. Mm. What's his fit? Uh, Jeff Bezos has now become the richest man. They say he's the richest man in history. He made 200 yeah. billion. First person to make 200 billion. 200 billion pounds. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a time last month where he made um, 13 billion in one day. 13 billion in 13 one day. 13 billion in one day. And this is someone who just paid off his wife about 26 billion, made her the richest woman, <laughs> and he's still maintaining his status as the wealthiest man in the world. <laughs> That's what I'm saying to you. But on the same hand, sadly, Marks mm. and Spencer has announced there's 7,000 jobs. Yeah. 7,000 jobs are going to be lost between now and Christmas. Debenhams. People are losing their jobs. What we are seeing, and I think I did say it on the podium, we're seeing that this is now the end of the industrial age. Mm. It's now the end of the nine to five. It's official now. And if we don't, we don't change the system, there's going to be a lot of people that are suffering. And I'll, I'll say it boldly, and I think I'll be, I'll be vindicated for it. I'll say it boldly. We need to either change the education system or change the, the way we work because... Yeah. It's not working anymore. I mean, we, we did discuss that, and I did mention as well that I don't think it's, it's, it's fit for purpose in regards to, like, the direction where the world is going because mm. e everything has shifted. We've gone through various ages, but the education system has stayed the same. It's still the same standardised process. I mm. mean, we're still being taught the same way. We're still being taught the same curriculums, the same processes. Mm. When the world is completely shifted now, how we work is shifted, how we, mm -hmm. how we navigate the world is shifted. And, mm -hmm. and so many people are starting to wake up to the idea that once they finish school, they don't know much about the world. We don't understand the basic functionalities required as a human being to be able to maneuver this world. Like, how do I deal with my taxes? Like, what's a mortgage? How do I apply for one? And these are complicated issues. Do you know mm. what I mean? How do I budget my finances? Like, it, these are all things that hasn't been covered by the education system. It hasn't. And it makes me wonder, and that's where my frustration lies. And you were saying before, I was a bit of a Luddite when it came to the social media. But when I saw everything that was happening with COVID, I said to myself, if I don't upskill myself, and I think that's another thing that we've got to work on better, because uh, uh, what we've, we've indoctrinated our kids with, you go to school, you get good grades, you get a good mm -hmm. job, um, you know, you have a job for life, you work hard, you get a pension and job done. You retire and whatnot. You can buy a house or whatnot. That's not true anymore. 
if they, I think I read somewhere, I think it was in The Economist, where they said that if you looked at somebody in the 1970s, they'll probably have one or two career changes in their lifetime. Now yeah. they're for our generation. We can have about yeah. nine different career changes. Nine. Mm-hmm. And when I look, and I'm, I know it sounds crazy, I'm looking even at myself. The jobs that I've worked, if I look at, I've done sales, I've done, I've done um, events management, events planning. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher, but now I'm an author, I'm a trainer, I'm a speaker. I'm constantly evolving. And the thing is, like the algorithm, we as human beings, somebody said something, the humans are becoming more more like machines and the machines are becoming more human. That's the era. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, if you look at it, we, we have, so we've merged with machine. Like mm. as much as people like to talk about AI and whatever, like when you look at this, this is machine and this is a mm. part of us. Like you spend, we spend more time with this than we do with, anyone else do you see what i mean like <laughs> yeah. and, and and even to retain information so i was speaking to like an elderly gentleman and he was like you guys don't i don't you guys don't remember anything because he was asking me something he had told me previously and i was like i don't remember but i can quickly <laughs> google it <laughs> i mean I, I and the thing is i feel like i don't need to remember now because i have an assistant who's attached to me which is a part mm-hmm. of the whole ai and mm-hmm. and human inter- integration so we need to understand that though we've become a part we've become part machine Exactly. And what we've got to do, and I think this is what I'm realizing is that I'm trying to put a different twist on this whole AI thing. Because if you watch a lot of, you know, uh, commentators, they're saying that, you know, AI is going to be the death of us all and AI is going to take all the jobs and whatnot, what have you. But if you think of, so for example, there's a guy called Gary, uh, I can't even say his name, Gary Kapernov, I believe. Mm. He's a chess master. And he was, uh, he played a machine called Deep Blue. And it was, a, it was a famous chess match. It was like basically saying, can a, a machine be a chess master? In fact, in the comments, tell me I said his name wrong. Um, but he's basically a chess master. And he, he got whooped or he got beaten by this um, Deep Blue, right? Yeah. And he was like, gosh, you know, computers are going to take over. But what he did cleverly was said, okay, chess is all about tactics, and obviously, a computer can memorize millions of different tactics and pattern repetition. But what he did was he said, all right, cool. What if we adapt the game of chess where we have a human versus a machine, a human and a machine working together? And what he found was that the human and the machine combination where he's using the computer to help him with the tactics mm. beat the AI by itself. And what he was trying to say was that computers are brilliant at tactics, meaning that if I program it to do something, at the moment, even with AI, it will just do it. So I'll say, all right, I want you to wake me up at 8 a.m. It will always do it accurately, more than better than any human. But if it was, if you ask the AI at the moment, why should I wake up at 8 a.m.? At the moment, it won't know. It won't be able to tell it you, yeah. Think. It can't think experientially yet. So where I look at it like this, people are saying jobs are going to be lost, but there's also going to be jobs that are going to be gained. As I said, I think on the last podcast, Facebook, I swear, is less than 15 years of age. Facebook. Yeah came out in 2004 2005 it's one of the biggest companies on planet earth at the moment you know what i mean amazon was founded in 1999 20 years later is the biggest company on planet earth if you told somebody in 1995 that you'll be selling everything online people would have not believed that so what to do i think as and this is where if i was the education secretary i'll be saying we need to stop trying to get our kids to learn rope because that's ridiculous now. Henry the Eighth and his eight wives. That's <laughs> How do I need to remember that? I've got a phone. Yeah. Me and you, right? Yeah. We had a test right now. We allowed our phones. We're gonna, we're gonna pass. Easy. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. need. Okay, don't get me wrong. Of course, we need the core information. 
I'm not saying mm. that everything off the phone, but it should get to a point. So uh, in Sweden, I believe, or is it Norway? I always get it mixed up. I believe that what they do, they, they start school from year seven as normal. But when they hit the year nine, they said we're going to abolish all, all, all subjects. What we're going to do is we want you to start a business or we want you to do something creative. And we're going to mark. Yeah, I think that's Norway. Yeah, yeah I think that's Norway. And what, what they're teaching them, because they're saying the grades are not going to matter in the real world. In the sense of as much as we think, come on, we, we went to uni, we've got GCSEs. I've never in my life had anybody come to me and say, you know what, we love you for the job. But who, who was Henry VIII's third wife? No, <laughs> I mean, I've never had that in the job. <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? What they're going to ask you is they're going to say, tell us a time where you were in a team. Tell us a time that you had a difficulty. Tell us yeah. a time where you had to be creative and you had to think on your feet. But the, you know what the funny thing is? A lot of the private schools are already doing this. A yeah. lot of the private schools are already doing this. Alternative yeah. curriculum. So they said in the papers today, the independent said that the gap between the rich and the poor and ethnic minorities, and uh, uh, if you're a poor, from a poor uh, ethnic, socioeconomic class and you're an ethnic minority com- compared to somebody who's in a middle class background, is up to 45%. And it's yeah. gain, when you look at it, in during lockdown, the middle class child will probably have more access to more technology, laptops, all that stuff to help them. Where someone from a poorer socioeconomic background, which unfortunately is a lot of ethnic minorities or a, a, a good chunk of ethnic minorities, just don't have access to that technology. So yeah. this is the problem here. This is where I think, you know, it has to change. Yeah. But in terms of making that change, because the, mm-hmm. the thing is, because I'm such a solution based thinker, I'm always thinking, how, how do we push for that process? It's like, where do we go? Because th- these conversations have been happening ever since. I've always known that the education system is a disaster, and that's based off of <laughs> my own experience. Sure. So it's like, how do we go about making that change? I think personally, and I think this is where it's going, honestly, and again, uh, let's take it from a macro level. Let's take mm. it because what, is, what was education's function? And again, this is not conspiratorial. Education's yeah. function, or modern education as we, as we see it now, started in the Industrial Revolution. What that what happened was you had a whole group of people. So we went from the agricultural age where most people worked on farms. You know, they worked on farms. They would get their little produce. They'll sell it in the market and go home. And that was it. But then we moved into an industrial era, the factory era, where instead of having one farmer or 10 farmers getting, I don't know, 100 acres of land, you could have or farming 100 acres of land, I'm just throwing rent, or 10 acres of land, mm. you could have one farmer with all the machinery doing 1,000 acres of land. So the means of production. So what we ended up having was, they were saying, okay, for example, we built all these machines, but we need um, people to work them. So that's where the big industrialists, and you can look this up, this is not conspiratorial mm. uh, at, all, at all, they said, look, we need a workforce, but how are we going to get that workforce? Ah, let's start up education. And the reason why we have that grading system was the grading system would say, okay, this one's slightly smarter than this one. So this one can be telling the others what to do. The dumber mm. one can probably go out in the field and, 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 you know, just do the farming or whatnot, what have you. That's why we have that grading system. The reason why we even have half terms and, and summer breaks was because, again, remember, some of these kids needed to go back home and help their dads on the farm. That's why we have a six-week holiday. The six-week mm. holiday would be the time that they were going out to actually help on the farms. Again, this is all not conspiratorial. This is all historical fact. And go and look it up for yourself. So we developed an education system to prepare people for the industrial age. They're now in the information age, right? How do we change that? 
So I think, number one, if I was education secretary, we've got to realise that the nine to five is dead. It's gone. The safe wow. pension is gone. We've got to realise and let that go. That was an older model, right? What we've got to prepare people to do, so solution-based, we have got to go to that alternative curriculum model of Norway and say, look, how come... This is the, again, with human beings, how we can beat the machines is we're creative, we're out of the box. We need to focus on that solution-based yeah. thing. So I would say to my kids, for example, rather than saying, okay, let's read a poem, I'll say, all right, write this poem. Why did you write that poem? Okay, that's creative writing. So that's a poor example. But rather than saying, studying about business and saying, business is blah, 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 start your own business. Yeah, go and do something. Do yeah. those things. Be creative. Yeah. Think about yourself, Francis. Did you get a degree in podcasting? No, not at all. How did you do it? How, how did you when do it? when about and done it? Exactly. Yeah, I got the equipment out. started and then le- learned on the go. Yeah, learned on the go, and that's what we've got to do. That is what I think we've got. To, and I think in a way, a, a weird way, the kids already got it. The yeah. kids say to me all the time, "Why am I learning this? Why am I bothering with this? How is it going to help me? Why am I not learning about mortgages? Why am I not learning about you know things that really matter?" And it's, again, I think that the education system has not been disrupted. If I took a, a teacher from the Edwardian times and I took out the, obviously, the TV and all the technology, mm-hmm. he would be right at home. He would know yeah. what this is a classroom and he would know how to teach. And that's, a, that's shocking. The, mm-hmm. the system needs to change, man. And I think now this is the wake-up call because we are preparing people for jobs. See, I know people that are accountants and they're telling me that AI is already... and it's. When we're talking about jobs... Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Even the medical field. I, I, I know I speak mm. to a lot of scientists and engineers within the medical field that mm. are talking about they soon there won't be need for nurses, no doctors and surgeons, because the machine will be able to handle the rest of that for them. So nurses, obviously, they they, they, they post-op caregivers and stuff, mm. but in terms of actively cutting people up and operating on them, soon you have the machine doing that to 100% accuracy, really. Exactly. And I, I, I saw something which was mad, because I like these type of things. So basically, just say you are a doctor in America and there's a young child in, um, you know, Brazil that needs an operation. You can't get the doctor out there. Mm. It's almost like Prometheus, the film. They've got like a box yeah. where the, it's like VR operation. So the man's in, yeah. the, in the machine and he's operating and the arms are moving in Brazil and he, it's almost like the guy is... It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, he's there. He's there. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, that is what we've got to move to. We've got to move to a model where the industrialization... Because the, the, the industrialization and the the, the, the the brainwashing that we've given our kids, we have to move from that now. A lot of our students now are going to go into jobs that we have never even heard of. And we've oh, got yeah, to definitely. prepare their minds of how do we think outside the box? How do we do certain things? Even with coding, I, I thought, you know, remember that was the whole thing of, you know, go and be a coder. Go be a coder, yeah. <laughs> you know, the coder said, he goes, we've got AI that writes the code for us. So what you can do is you can tell it what to do say, I want a website with this, that, and the other. And in fact, we're, we're doing it now. I built my mm. website. I'm not a coder. But on the website, like Wix, you've got a thing where you say, what do you want me to do? I mm. do it. I don't write, I, I've not, I don't know a, a line of code. Um, yeah, you just drop it. Boom, pick and, and drop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So even the coders are saying to me, it's getting to a point that we're going to be out of business. In the next 20 years, we won't need, compu- we, we won't need, because computers can write their own code. So yeah. we're in a, this is going to be, when we look back in 50 years, by the grace of God, we're all here in 50 years, the way, the way that this year's gone, but <laughs> it's mad. But 
we, we're moving. This is going to be, I think, a pinnacle. This will be the time we'll say that the world truly changed forever. And I think yeah. that is what we've got to move forward to. And it's not doom and gloom for me because I look at things and I think this is a chance, especially with our children that are working class, especially with the ethnic minorities who have historically been disadvantaged in the education system. This is a chance to say, well, this is major disruption. Let's look at what we can do here. So there's guys that are starting, you know, look at Mark Zuckerberg. He, you know, he started Facebook in his dorm room. There's so many examples. Mm. Tumblr. I think the guy that, no, let me not tell lies. There was a guy that started a news aggregation site at 15. I've forgotten the name of it. He sold it, I think, to Apple and he's a multimillionaire. These are the things that we need to encourage. I think the good thing is with um, with like the current state of like the media and stuff like that, and social media in particularly, a lot of young kids got access to this information. So they hear some of these stories and they see the changes happening physically mm. in front of them. They're seeing all mm. the chaos. They're seeing all the order. They're hearing about all these various people that created businesses out of nothing, which is also of vast importance. But mm. then it's like the information and the skill sets that need that they need to develop in order to become those individuals. That's where the system is lacking in. And I, I personally think. The, the government is doing the government does the country a disservice when they're not offering this to kids because it's only going to benefit us if we're equipping more people to develop do things and make things happen of course. you know what i mean if- of course but you know what it is i think this is again because i don't want it to be doom and gloom i don't want your views to think oh it's the end of the world but look if we look at like Karl marx and what Karl marx was saying he was basically saying that whoever owns the means of production basically run run basically run the world or run the country so if you've got a factory owner that owns the machines of Mm. course he can tell the other guys what to do you understand because he owns those machines he owns the building yeah the great thing about the time we're living in is the means of production the barriers to entry and virtually unless you're doing something like i don't know trying to cure cancer or something the, Mm. the, 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 the 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 barriers to entry are so low so for example i remember in early 2000, when I was working in the music industry, long story, we were looking <laughs> to get a website. So this was in 1998. A website would have cost you from a professional web designer. And we're talking like dial-up website. would have cost you a grand to make. Easy, yeah. A grand to do it. Now you can do it for free. I was teaching kids how to, to make it. Um, computers, everything has gone down in value. Even starting a poddy. Try mm. and imagine starting, again, there wasn't podcasts. There was radio shows. Trying to get on radio was nigh impossible. Now, yeah. you know, I was watching Joe Budden and looking at the whole um, thing with the Spotify thing and what's going on. You've got Joe, um, Joe Rogan's podcast, the biggest podcast in the world. How yeah. much Spotify, about a billion? I, I can't remember the figures. Two, you got, I think you got an initial 300 mil payoff or something. 300 with, with mil. With add-ons and stuff. Yeah. That was just literally, and I, I'm, not, I'm not even disrespecting Joe Rogan because I love Joe Rogan and his content. But what I'm trying to say is Joe Rogan was, he's not like a Will Smith. He's not mm. like, you know, he was a guy, he was a comedian, but also on Fear Factor. But the fact is he, him and his mates were just talking like me and you were talking. And now yeah. his, if he got a 300 million payoff, Spotify must be thinking, the valuation must have been like, we're going to make 2 billion out of him. Easy, easy. And then you've got yeah. the Joe Budden thing. Because what Joe Budden was saying was that, Joe Rogan would have not even got that if it wasn't for him because he's kind of, Joe Bunner said, he, he, well, that's debatable, but he's saying that I'm the one that kind of started this podcast thing. You know what I mean? So, but what I'm saying is, can you imagine a guy, to me, I can't even, fact, 300 milli, think of the yeah. biggest radio star. It's, it's an initial payoff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's no way you can get Charlemagne, 
you can get Chris Evans, not the, the actor, I'm talking about like the Radio One guy over here in the UK. Yeah. 300 million pounds to talk. That is mm. absolutely insane. And of course, people are not, not everybody's going to get that. That's obviously the creme de la creme de la creme. But yeah. what I'm saying to you is that the, the, the barriers to entry on so many things is so low that it just takes people to go out and do it. For me to write a book, I went, you know, you know what I mean? I went almost semi-independent. If I wanted to write a book, I have to go to Barnes & Noble or Penguin. The barriers were just too high. They would have not let me yeah. in. With combinations of working with uh, certain companies and through Amazon, I can write my book because the barrier of entry. But it's, I think what we need to put in our kids is, and I think, in fact, in a way, they've already got it. It's the fearlessness. Go out into the world. Try things. If it flops, it flops. It doesn't yeah. matter. But you have to keep on evolving and adapting because if you're relying on the traditional nine to five to feed you and your family, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You're going yeah, to- I think, I think t- touching on the fear factor that you just said, I think that's when the, the, the role of the parents is key because I think if, if your kids feel like they don't have a safety net, they're never really going to try anything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because naturally we're built, we, 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 we're built to have that fear instinct within us because mm. it's, it's a part of our survival instinct. Mm-hmm. But if, you, if you're able to, in, input that into them and let them know that look they do have a safety net go mm. out there and try things don't f- mm. feel, feel the fear and do it anyway like the book mm. says and just mm. try it if you fall back yo, you just go ahead and try it again like mm. there's nothing holding you back so that's maybe something for the parents to think about as well to so stop fear mongering their kids and forcing <laughs> them into stuff that is not going to benefit them in the future because things are changing at a rapid pace exactly and it's everything you've said and I think I think a lot of people have blamed the schools before but I think now we're coming back to a model where the parents are going to be key and the reason being is that I think parents for adults, I've spoken to a lot of people and people are scared, rightly. They're rightly scared. And again, as I was mentioning earlier, people think the jobs that are going to be automated are just going to be, I don't know, like the, the manual jobs, the forklifts and whatnot. And, you know, if you go to the Amazon center, it's literally machines picking. So if you buy a book, yeah. the machine picking it. But even jobs like accountancy, as I mentioned earlier, AI is coming into that now. AI can, you know, do all their accounts and do the predictive analysis better than some humans. Law, which I thought was, you know, immune. But again, if you're talking about contracts, you know, you've got things, apps on your phone, which you say what type of contract you want. It will do all the legal yeah. and it will spit out a contract for you, yeah. you know. So it's, it's, it's again a case of adults need to look. And this is what I'm saying to myself. I'm preaching this to myself rather than look out into the chaos because the industrial ways is, is literally crumbling before our eyes. We've got to look out for the opportunities and say, all right, how can, I t- how can I make this into an advantage? How can I? So, for example, with this T-shirt that I'm wearing, I'm not doing no brand merch or whatnot. Mm. Why you? But this I will push it anyway, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I, I need one. I'm going to wear one on the pod, man. I'll come and buy one. <laughs> you have to. But, again, I thought in my head, I'm, I don't have a clue about, you know, logo design or whatnot. But I said, you know what? Go out and try it. I've got a design, a logo design. This was made. I don't even know where this was made. But I, I did it, I put it there, now I've put it on my website. And that's the mindset I carry. I say to myself, how can we, how can you change this into something for advantage? And I think you had, I can't remember the name of the guy, but there was a guy on one of your podcasts. I'm sure it was your podcast. I'm almost certain. And he said in lockdown, this was during lockdown. He said, if you haven't done anything or if you haven't learned a new skill, you've wasted oh, yeah, my, my boy, TJ. Yeah, yeah, TJ. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I loved him. Because he, yeah. he, he goes, 
Please roll with it, yeah. Yeah, he goes, people have been complaining. I don't have time to write that book. I don't have time to start that business. You've got the time. You're at home. (laughs) He goes, turn off the TV, stop looking at the news, and do something. But he goes, when we come out of lockdown, you had three or four months, and if you've done nothing, you've wasted your lockdown. Yeah, do you know what? I'll I'll tell you something about TJ. So TJ is like, every time I speak to TJ, I go and do something, and I'll tell you exactly what happened. So I had that conversation with TJ and he was telling me about the shift that he'd done himself because mm. he, he's a property guy. So it required him to be out there viewing properties. Mm. But then all of a sudden, boom, the business stopped because mm. of COVID. He wasn't mm. allowed to go into people's houses. He wasn't mm. allowed to let them, rent them mm. and so forth. So he shifted his business and went into coaching. So wow. all, all he done was shift his mindset and, and he stuck to the same business. He's already got the knowledge of the business. So mm. then he went hard on the coaching, started selling coaching um, and packages and stuff. And mm. after I spoke to um, TJ, something incredible happened because I was like, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm at home now. I have to accept mm. it. And I spoke to him early on as well during mm. the lockdown. I was like, look, I'm at home now. I, yeah, rem- I work remotely anyway during the day at work. But at the same time, in regards to the podcast, what yeah. am I going to do now? Do you know what I mean? How can I, how can I increase my listeners, increase my following? Mm. So I, I went crazy. This was literally the week, like three days after I finished speaking to him. Mm. I, I joined every podcast Facebook group there is. I joined all <laughs> yeah. of the WhatsApp because people people started seeing like exponential growth. And I was like, if you mm-hmm. knew what I was doing, I was waking up every morning. I was I was engaging in every group there was. Mm-hmm. And all I done it, I done it for like three weeks and all of and I got like literally like a thousand plus subscribers within those weeks. Correct. And, so I've been lazy in the last couple of weeks, but then I thought to myself, if I continue that, mm-hmm. the numbers are endless because it's compounded. Like exactly. the more, the more, the more you input into something, the more it compounds and it takes time for it to compound. But when it does, it's exponential. Let me you know tell I mean? you something, what you've done there, but again, this is why, you know, I'm such a big fan of you. As I told you when I went on the, I was so honored when you asked me to come oh, on it. I'm sure. a big fan because what, what I see when I look at you, I don't know, again, maybe I'm saying in a way, it's an East London thing. There's yeah. the, one of a better, a hustler mentality, but I don't mean yeah. it in a way. But <laughs> I think it's, it's one of them things where you, I feel I don't know. I look at people and there's some people that will see something. You know the ones you could be standing, you're watching and you're like, something's mm. going to pop off. Something's yeah. going to happen here. And you're trying to figure out, well, there's some people that, raw. something happens and like, what happened? But I'm like, yeah. well, <laughs> in the same place. And yeah. what I love what you've shown is, I don't know, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but um, one of my favourite book, right? One of my favourite books of all time is a, a book by a guy called Ryan Holiday and it's called The Obstacle is the Way. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. No, I haven't heard of it, no. It's a brilliant book. I, 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 I implore you and everybody listening to this, go out and buy this book. What's good? The Obstacle is the Way. Way by Ryan Holiday. It's my favourite book. And it's a book about Stoicism. Yeah. Okay? But it's not a boring book. So Stoicism is the... So to be a Stoic, it goes back to the ancient Roman days. And it's mm. basically to have the ability to stay on an even keel, no matter how much stuff is going. It's, called, it's, a, it's a term called equanimity, which mm. basically means that peace within even though everything is going mad outside of yourself. And obviously the Stoics had to do it because it was a warrior society. Like, you know, 300, it was like, you could yeah. die day. Literally you yeah. go to war and you could be dead. How do you manage your feelings? How do you manage your emotions? And, and um, a guy called Marcus Aurelius, who is the, was one of the emperors, basically they say he's the father of Stoicism, but you have Aristotle, all these guys. But basically what he was saying in the book was, we need to have that mindset now that equanimity inside. And there's a fantastic story that I love from the book where he's talking about Malcolm X. So obviously, before he became Malcolm X, he was Malcolm Little. If you watch the Denzel film, he was a, he was a hustler and a pimp, basically. Yeah. But when he found, he went in prison for 10 years. 
And when he found the nation, uh, the uh, uh, Islam or the nation of Islam in prison, he read every book in the library. He memorized the dictionary. Um, and in fact, he did it so much. He read so much in prison that he wore his eyes out. That's why he had glasses. When he, before he went to prison, he didn't even have glasses because he was determined to get an education. And he was determined to say, look, no matter what, okay, I'm in here, but I'm going to make use of my time. And what Ryan Holiday calls it is a lifetime and dead time. And he said, what most of us do is we have what we call dead time. So if we've got a free two hours or three hours in the evening, what do we do? We watch a bit of Netflix, we play mm -hmm. PlayStation 2. But why it's dead time is it has no benefit to you. Okay, you're better at Street Fighter, but in the real world, how is that helping you? Yeah. Right? Whereas a lifetime is time that could be used to make yourself better. And it's not, only, it's not just about making money or your career, but how can you could be meditating? These are things that are benefits for your well-being. Mm. And what we have got to do or twist it around, and that's what a Stoic would do, uh, would do, is say, okay, we've got an event that's happened. So two people can look at the same event and say, okay, this is terrible what's happened. Okay, so for example, I'm in business and I'm making, I don't know, cloths. Because of COVID, so you know Primark, Primark made no money yeah. over the COVID period because they don't have an online yeah, uh, presence. Uh, Their setup was not going, <laughs> it wasn't geared for it. Exactly. Yeah. Because of the cheap, but imagine you've got two clothing stores. One clothing store can look at the situation and say, I'm ruined. But what I saw was a lot of people said, okay, I can't sell, I don't know, T-shirts, but mm. I can make masks. So one woman said COVID, she's flipped her business quickly She's making all masks and fashion accessories and she's making a killing. Yeah. So she saw what, you know, there's the same situation, yeah. right? As Shakespeare said, you know, I've forgotten what he said, but he said it's our thinking that makes things bad or good. Yeah. One person saw a disaster for their business. One person saw an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think the core of what I'm trying to say is that our kids, we've got to show them this. We've got to. What I'm going to try and do with my kids is say, you know, COVID and we might die and we might do this and we might do that. But I'll say, look at Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos has made more money during this crisis than ever. Ever. The richest man in history. He could have looked at it like a disaster, but this was perfect for COVID. This was brilliant. This no was it. Yeah. For the whole world, like everyone just got in tune with Amazon. Now, imagine the whole world turning their eyes on your business because it was perfectly set up. A perfect, exactly. It was perfectly set up, as, as you said. When we look at um, online universities, mm. I can't remember the name of, of those things. Harrow, um, so Harrow School for Boys, which is a private school, which Winston Churchill, I believe, went to, they've set up an online school. So mm. you pay 15 grand a year and you do online content from Harrow High School, um, oh, Harrow, wow. Harrow School for Boys. Yeah. They're using their noggin. Oxford and Cambridge, I believe, I've said, you know what, we're not going to have nobody in school for, you know, for, for the next couple of months. Yeah, but fine. So... Lots of people. So, for example, your your podcast, perfect. Mm. In terms of you know, because you the way you've done it, it's not stopped. Yeah, you, I shifted. I shifted onto video. Yeah, I went from physical and just boom, shifted onto video. It shifted onto video. But how do we teach that? But again, if you've mm. got a student, a school student, we teach them this is a podcast. But how do we teach them to shift gears? And I think yeah. that is where for me, that's the next step. How do I? Because I think that the, the, we the school system, unfortunately, is is not doing that job. Yeah, but uh, we teach your kids that. Yeah. To, to me, to me, that comes that comes back to like sort of like life experiences and having to having actively going through stuff or having actively tested stuff. So mm. going back to what you said about like Norway, for instance, mm. instead of going through the curriculum throughout their whole school period, they teach them how to make stuff. 
they, mm. they make them go through experiences. And what experiences mm. do, as, as we all know as human beings, it sharpens us. It enables mm. us to prepare for what's to come or what may be like unforeseeable mm. circumstances. And it, it teaches us how to adapt. You know what I mean? Because when you're in the real world, you you have to adapt. You're engaging with like a vast group of people with Mm -hmm. different mindsets who might engage with you differently. So you need to learn how to adapt in order to survive or make something happen in that environment. And I think that's where the East London thing, what you were saying, comes from. Because as you know, like I I grew up in East. I went to... I went to school in in yeah. a multicultural inner city London Ooh. where I saw everything. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've been involved in everything. So, yeah. so, and I've been in the corporate sector. I've been, I've been everywhere. I'm, I've been in business. So, yeah. when it comes to situations like this, I'm well equipped as compared mm-hmm. to someone who hasn't been put through anything or hasn't gone through anything or experienced anything. So, that's prob- that's the issue there. That's the, the definite issue. And again, because I read a lot of books, so I'll give another book. There's a book by a guy called. John Epstein, and it's called Range. And I love this book. I read this at the top of the year before COVID happened. And he was saying, is it, do generalists or specialists win? Who, who would win, right, in, in, in the real world? And the, whole, the thing was, what school teaches us to do is it teaches us to specialise. So we start off as generalists, primary school, but as time goes on, we start to narrow our focus. So at A-level, so basically, even at GCSE, they tell you pick either geography or history or pick Spanish or German. You go into A-level, you pick three subjects. From those three subjects, you pick one subject, which is whatever your degree is and whatnot. Now, what this guy was saying, John Epstein was saying, was saying that a specialist thrives in what is called a kind world, a kind environment. So, for example, if you're playing chess, chess is a kind environment because there's only so many spaces and there's only so many pieces. You've got the rook, you've got the knight, you've got the king. You're never going to have, I don't know, the... I don't know, you're never going to have, I don't know, the warrior or the samurai on the board. You'll Mm -hmm. never So, of course, in an environment like chess or an environment like, I don't know, playing a piano where you get feedback and the the conditions never rarely change, you know that whole 10,000-hour rule thing? That is what we call kind environment. Now, in a wicked environment, so business is a wicked environment, things that you did... So, for example, if I, I could go and study everything in chess from every chess match, and I could use that now. But if you go back and look at business and you say, all right, I'm going to do this, like this, and this, and this, it might not work now. And we've seen mm. this with businesses like Blockbuster. Blockbuster had the chance to buy Netflix for cheap. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, they presented their own with that, please take our company. Yeah, Blockbuster. I've heard that story, yeah. But Blockbuster, because they couldn't see into the future, Netflix put them out of business. Kodak. Now, now, they're, now, now they're a museum. <laughs> <Blockbuster>. <laughs> Did you read the article? No, no, no. They've actually turned. They've actually turned into an experience. So they've turned one blockbuster into like a museum. You go there, you mm. put in the tapes, you sit down on a little sofa, and you watch a movie. And it's crazy. That, that's the that's the that's the part that's the part of the history that they're stuck in. Huh? Exactly. Kodak didn't see. They didn't react fast enough when digital cameras were coming around, coming out, right. and they got wiped out when all the the, the third generation phones started to come out. They got mm. completely wiped out. It's a wicked environment. And in the wicked environment, what he was saying was generalists tend to win. As you said, people that have a multitude of different skills can adapt and they can evolve. And what they're saying is the world is becoming more, you've got to become something more like akin to a super generalist. A, a person who basically knows lots of little skills. You master one skill, just say, for example, I don't know, podcasting or video, but you need mm. to know lots and lots of different skills and combine them together in interesting ways. And that's the only way you're going to do things because if your whole industry gets wiped out, so for example, like, I don't know if you've heard, in the next five years, they're talking about putting self-driving cars in the UK. So yeah. imagine, yeah. 
and Uber is behind this as well. So imagine you're a cab driver and that's all you know, right? What are you going to do? Your whole industry is going to get wiped out. What are you yeah. going to do? When I think about all those people in the retail sector, because I worked in the retail sector, I worked for John Lewis, I love the company. Because they, yeah, I was aiming this guy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But they, these are companies that were founded a hundred years ago that believed in looking after their, um, looking after their um, employees. But and so John Lewis used to have something called a bonus, which basically they shared that they did a profit share, basically. So any additional mm. money, they would we used to envy you guys, man. <laughs> you don't get bonuses. You're not bowling. <laughs> There's like two bags in my account every. Trust me. Um, May, sorry, financial year. But when yeah. I see my guys that are still in the game, some of my friends still stayed in the game, they're worried because they're saying Amazon is going to take them out of business. It doesn't, you know, although it makes me sad because John Lewis is shutting lots of stores, Marks and Spencers is cutting. It's going to mm. continue. These jobs are never going to come back. Um, there's talk about Pret a Manger. You see, I don't know if you heard what Boris Johnson Cos- Cos- said. Costco, I think, got rid of like about, was it Costa? Costa got rid of like 2,000 people. Exactly. These jobs are never going to come back. So imagine all you've ever done is you've been in the retail sector and now your whole industry is being wiped out. What are you going to do? And again, because of the way that we have taught our kids, because we've taught them you do A, B and C and D and E and F and G, you get a grade and they give you money. It's not going to work. You know, I wrote the book. I didn't even have the idea in my head, but, you know, thank, thank the Lord. I, by writing the book and trying it, I just wrote the book and I thought, okay, let's see if it works. You know what I mean? If it flops, it flops. You know what I mean? I can't do anything about it. But by doing it, it's opened up other opportunities for me. You understand? Whereas some of my colleagues might not have done that. And I'm not saying it in a boastful way, but what I'm saying is that even with teachers, teachers, I talk to teachers, they think, ah, our jobs are safe. Really? (laughs) Really? No, because the thing is, what is the stop in the future? And I think I said this. I can get somebody, I don't know, if I've got, I'm trying to think of a big scientist, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. lecture. Why can I not do it at home now? Yeah. You, you can teach more, more students. You can teach hundreds of thousands of people simultaneously. Exactly. So why do you need all, all those teachers? Why do you need all those teachers? Exactly. What if a robot and people laugh? What if AI comes into, into play where it does an individualized curriculum? Because I think that's the future, looking at future trends. Give it 30 years. You won't even need to go to school. You open up the computer. And in fact, because I do online courses, it asks you, what do you want to learn? What do you do? And it sets a path, a, 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 a strategic path directly to you, right? Or strategic yeah. curriculum for you. Why would you need to go to a building? I don't know if you, because mm. you're in the, you know about um, or corporate offices. They're saying yeah. now a lot of companies are, are thinking about closing their offices for good because of COVID. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. The culture's changing. So I, I was in a meeting recently and um, something interesting was said because they were talking about like the, the, the lack of the lack of need of office because everyone in the organization in, in mm. that particular organization mm. uh, traveled across the world to work from or to, mm. to, 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 mm. yeah. to lock down from because some of them had families in Spain, Greece, wherever and so forth. Mm. And um, they, two things the manager realized, he realized that one, there's been no, no one's called in sick in six months. <laughs> 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 and and that was such a subtle but it was actually mm-hmm. an amazing find because let's be honest most people call in sick because they wake up in the morning feeling oh this is a bit long right now yeah, like yeah. I might be a bit I might be hanging for the night before I might got a little headache I can't bother to jump yeah. on the central line I'm, oh, I'm gonna call in sick no one had called in sick that was the first thing that they realised and then number two they realised oh, wait hold on we're getting all the work done 
efficiently mm. as well because people are in their comfort zone and they know that they've got deadlines. So at least they want to prove to the, to the mm. employer that they're working because you don't want to be at home and then not be able to reach deadlines. What? Like, well, what are you doing at home? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you're cuddling up to your <laughs> girlfriend or whatever. Because turn on your video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Turn on your video. <laughs> so, so, so then they made, they made a joke and I was like, mm, this, this is not a joke. They're like, wait, do we really need the office anymore? Nah, man. No. Like, you're paying thousands of pounds for a building that you might not need. You Unless you're taking care of people physically. And you can monitor people. And the, this is, I think, the more sinister thing. Whereas before in a physical office, the boss could walk around and look at your computers. Now you're mm. at home. They can, because of the technology, they can literally look at what you're doing or telling when did you oh, yeah, log definitely. When did definitely. you log out? And that's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> you've got to, as you said, it's, it's shifting. So when Boris Johnson, and this is what makes me quite angry, actually, because he said, he said something along the lines of everybody needs to return to the office, otherwise you might not have a job. So they've cut the furlough. The furlough thing is now mm. being wound down. So they're not going to, the government's not going to protect your job anymore. Um, but the thing is, as you said, after spending five months at home, do you want to go on that central line, that rammed central line? And yeah. with COVID as well, are yeah. you going to risk your life to yeah. go on the central line? So like Twitter, for example, they said forever now, if you don't want to ever come back into work, you don't have to come back in. So Jack Dorsey announced, he said, you know what? Oh, what, if, to all of his employees? Yeah, he said to all his yeah. employees, if you never want to come into the building ever again, yeah. don't come into the building ever again. So these are the things, these are the things that are exciting, but you have to have that hustle. Um, I, get, I can't think of an, a good word for it, but you have hustle to have the best word for it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have that hustle mentality because when I look at the, you know, again, I keep on saying Marks and Spencers and John Lewis, I just think about, wow, how are you going to feed your families? How are you going to, you know, if you all you've ever known is standing on a shop floor, mm. how are you going to feed your family? And now, if I was in that position, sometimes you do thought experiments. I'll be like, I need to do some online. I need to do coding. What can pay me quick? Can I become an Uber driver? Can I? Because that's what people are going to have to do. Yeah. Because otherwise, we're, we're looking at, I don't want to use the word, but it's, people are talking, we, we're forgetting Brexit is still coming as well. Yeah, yeah, that's another big bombshell that's going to come. Once the smoke clears, Brexit's here. <laughs> We're going into a no deal as well. Mm. And again, I don't want to sound apocalyptic or whatnot, what have you. Because everybody thought before COVID come, Brexit was going to be the big topic. Brexit was going to... They haven't even... I, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I heard on the news. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But what they're saying is that the Brexit negotiate... Boris Johnson's saying that we're not going to extend. We're leaving. We, we're leaving. We're leaving. We're leaving. COVID or no COVID. Well, people are not, not prepared. We haven't done nothing. We haven't done any treaties. We haven't done anything. How are we going to... So we, we've got COVID on one side. We've got Brexit on the other side. We've got all this other madness. It's going to be turmoil. But if people are clever and they, they know how to switch it, there's going to be people getting really rich. Or they're going to oh, be... 100%. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a shift in wealth happening, and you can feel it. Like you can just feel the shift. Exactly. Mm. And how how are we gonna prepare? And that's that's my now become my obsession, and that's why I believe what I do is so important because I think it's a mindset, and especially I'm so, not even sorry to say it, but I'm gonna be really really frank. Mm. With the BAME community, we have seen now it's out there. It's completely mm. out there. The institutional mm. racism is uh, the discrimination is out there. And sorry for being a bit cynical. Now, this is not even cynical. This is fact. It's not, you can't take 100 or 200 years of systemic 
uh, oppression and systemic racism and expecting three months to be fixed. It's not mm. going to be fixed in three months. Mm. We know what's happening with the wealth gap. The wealth gap is increasing day by day. Mm. I think that, with our, especially with our, our ethnic minority kids, um, we need, really need to say, look, you guys have to now really think differently. You have to yeah. think differently. You can't... It's a mindset thing. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been watching everything play out because, me, when I see stuff play out, I, I soak it in mm. and then I'm, I try to, like bring forth all my education and and then try to just piece it all together and i realized that it's a massive big mindset change that's required because mm-hmm. you what one thing i realized is yes you, you can ask someone to change your your so, i don't know yeah but is if that if it bene- if it doesn't benefit that individual to change your circumstances how do you expect what you're asking for to ever be fulfilled Thank you very much for saying Like, that. it's never going to be fulfilled. Because <laughs> no, the thing is, what people don't understand, and this is what I was trying to explain to people, because what's interesting, you know what's so funny about what you've just said? Um, in terms of my, 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 my business, in terms of coaching and whatnot, it was doing okay. But after mm. George Floyd, I had all manner of different people contacting me because for, on social media, it's like, okay, you're a visible black male. You know, mm. I recently did a training and they said to me, you know what? It's very unusual to see a black male do training. And I thought in my head, wow. what? My race is never, something I can never escape from. <laughs> it's, mm. it's something that's always going to be at the forefront. But a lot of people are coming to me and saying to me, look, we need to look at our school's policy because clearly there's a problem and we want to do something about it. But I said, what I tried to explain is like, tell, tell us some rules we can put in. And I said, I can tell you the rules. But it's deeper than rules. It's not just about rules. You can, all schools and colleges have diversity um, programs and they've got all these yes. things about fairness. I've never been to a school that said we're discriminating against Indians. <laughs> yeah. I've never been to one, even in the 80s and 90s. But what I was trying to explain to those leaders was it's not good enough to make rules. You can't legislate someone's heart. You can't legislate. And this is where the education, the whole education around race needs to change. Like, it needs to change because racism, it's not... And this is what I was trying to explain to them. When we're talking about um, institutional racism, yes, you've got people saying the N-word or whatnot. That's really small. When you're not getting jobs, when they look at your name and they don't give you a job, or when you're being stopped by the police, that's a completely different thing because that is something that has been drip-fed into you from the society. When we're watching... And again, going back on to what we are talking about, Chadwick Boseman, really quickly... The reason why people were so proud of Black Panther was because that was the first time people have seen us as kings, as people that were not yeah, being oppressed. Yeah. When we look at our music, I don't know, you know, with the Megan Free Stallion and the mm. RDB thing. Yeah. We're shocked and disgusted and they're saying, is this good for us? But for me, we've had Little Kim, we've had Nicki Minaj. But again, when we look at the whole um, narrative around black people, you've got rappers that are talking about killing each other. You've got you know, you've got, you know, Nicki Minaj. And again, I'm not disrespecting their artistry. And mm. I think I said this on the previous poddy as well. But the, what it creates is it creates a narrative that we are yeah. sexualized. We're yeah. gangsters. We're aggressive. We're, we're unintelligent. We can't speak. Yeah. And that's what's being instilled in the mind of others, as in, like, that's, that's what they represent. That's what they are. So when you're engaging with someone like that, you're always going to be under the assumption that, okay, he, he or she's one of them. Exactly. And that, that's the problem that I find with, like, so I, there's an interesting talk. There's an interesting TED talk. Um, I forgot the gentleman's name, but he, mm. he was talking about, the title was Black Life is Cheap. Mm. And um, he was talking about how 
on um, so like artists for instance like music artists if you're a rapper and you want to make a positive song they're like no no one's going to listen to it mm. you want to hear the dark stuff that you've been talking mm. about all the time about drive-bys and shootings and stuff <laughs> like that and, and it cheapens black life so it's like when mm. you see a black person die or whatever it becomes the normal becomes- i mean even even if you physically haven't seen it before i, I was telling this to craig um, pinkney on, on my podcast mm. i was like i was driving through stratford one day mm. and there was a tape off and i heard some kids saying someone got stabbed Mm. No, you didn't have to tell me who got stabbed. Mm. And, and, I, and, the, and the crazy part is here yeah, that affected me the most is that I reached a point where it wasn't shocking anymore. It wasn't like, it didn't hit me. But morally, from a moral standpoint as a human being, when I hear a little kid that's just been killed, I should feel that. That's not right. Do you see what I mean? He, he had his whole life ahead of him. He had and, his whole life ahead of him. But again, as you said, this is where, okay, people can say, you know, we're talking about the end, you know, the whole controversy with the BBC and then yeah. someone said, but you guys say it to each other all the time and how do we know when to say it? Why can you, uh, you know, two black people say it to each other mm-hmm. but then, you know, uh, uh, a white person, when they say it, they get cussed. So, you know, Tyson Fury, and again, mm-hmm. he didn't even, say, he, he was rapping along to a Biggie song. Um, mm-hmm. What song is it? Juicy. And you know that yeah. if you don't know, now you know. And he yeah, said the know. word and people getting on to him saying, how dare you, Blah, 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 blah. But there's two problems. On one side of it, you've got the actual artists themselves, mm. right? And they say, look, why are you saying these? But on the other side of it, it's the record labels. And the, the record labels who allow this content to go out. And I think Ice-T once said something which was interesting. When he released Cop Killer, uh, Bob Dole, who was, I think, the vice president to George Bush, I can't remember, but he was basically saying they were condemning him, they're trying to cut him off. But he goes, the only reason why you lot don't like what I wrote about Cop Killer because I'm implying that I'm killing white people. But you had no yeah. fuck my albums when I was talking about killing other blacks. Yeah. So yeah. it's Cop Killer. That's why you're condemning what I'm saying. And that's it's why- It's actually interesting you said that because mm. the same talk that I was just talking about, the mm. guy said, he said, go out there, make a video about killing dogs and see what happens. Like make, make a full rap track about choking, strangling dogs like domestic dogs, <laughs> and and see and see and see the reaction um, from from the dominant society, and see what happens. Was it NSCP? What is it? I don't even know. National, yeah, NSCP or whatever they call it. Jump on you, Yeah, yo, you you're losing everything. But I can go on. I can I can make a rap track, talk about killing all the ops on my block and and stabbing them up and everything. It's calm. But if I make one track about killing a dog and I mask myself up, showing myself killing. I'm, I'm in big trouble. And that's what, you I, think, what I mean. And that's the cheapening. It's the cheapening, but it's, that's what I said. I said, like, and again, I think I said this on your podcast and I, I was scared I was going to get in trouble, but I'm going to say it again in the sense that I think it's more true more than ever. What you, exactly what you said. If we're going to go and say that black lives matter, ethnic minority lives matter, mm. we have got to treat each other that way as well. We yeah, have 100%. to treat each other that way and we've got to look at the way that we're, con- you know, we're conducting ourselves. And I've said mm. this on the podcast. If you're coming in your, if you're coming on the thing of, I like what Anthony Joshua said. He got in trouble for this, but he said, "Look, the road thing is over." He made this yeah. like that. He goes, "This road stuff is over now. There's mm. no why are we fighting each other. The road mm. stuff is over. We've got to conduct ourselves in a way which brings dignity to ourselves." Yeah. Again, going back to Chadwick Boseman. I watched his, um, his commencement speech for Howard University and he said that he went for a role and he was playing a hoodlum or fun, yeah? And he was holding people up and grip, gripsing people up. But he said something in his spirit bothered him. So he went to the producers and said, 
why is he why is he doing this what's the give me the motivation oh mm. his, his dad's not around his mom's on heroin because can we not have a talent or something is there something yeah. about the character yeah. they let him go they let him go and the thing is he said that his his career almost stalled because people are saying that he was difficult to work with but he said i have to understand the character because I, I chose to put roles that had a dignity. Every role I picked mm. have a dignity. And another, you know, another person like that is Denzel Washington. But you've, mm. got to, you've got to do things that bring pride onto yourself. You've got to do things because it annoys me when I go even to do trainings and somebody says, you know, you're incredibly articulate. Wow, I didn't think <laughs> you would speak like that. Now, they're trying to to me as a compliment. Wow. But do they think, yeah, rude boy, wagwan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's calling it. And I've come to come yeah. and you lot still about <laughs> <if> they, <laughs> you know what I mean? that, that's what that's what that's what that's what they want to hear though. That's the thing. I, I mean, I, I get there a couple of times though, and I'm like, oh, they, like, oh you, they, you you're into you're into stuff because yeah. obviously I, I'm not I'm not the, in terms of how I speak and I'm not the most like most brilliant sounding, but in terms of like my knowledge base, it covers a vast area. Mm. So sometimes I can jump into conversations with anyone anywhere at any time. And sometimes when you jump into certain conversation, you're talking about deep stuff. You can you can feel them thinking, "Raw, how, how does he know about that? Why, why is he talking about neural links and quantum <laughs> physics and all that stuff?" It's like I, I might not express it in the language and in the manner that you guys are talking about in terms of the tonality of your voice and mm-hmm. and your, your the way you articulate things. But I know it, and I will articulate it in the manner in which I know. Do you see what I mean? Exactly, bro. And it's it's like when you're saying these things, that's what I think we've got to we've got to leave that ghettoization that whole thing of I'm from the hood. And I think, you know, it's that thing of you feel that if you're not from the hood, you're not really black. Yeah. And I'm to show the kids, mm. and this is what jars me mm. about rap and hip hop, is that the kids feel almost under a certain pressure being black, that they have to be a trapper. They have be to real. do thing to keep it real. That's not keeping it real. Mm. It's not mm. keeping it real at all. Keeping it real. And I say this to the kids all the time is being able to come out of your house and not feel someone's going to stab me today. Keeping mm. it real is getting good grades in school. Okay, I know there's problems with the education system, but I'd rather you get the good grades than not get the good grades. Keeping it real is creating something like a book or keeping mm. it real, a song. Why do you have to degrade yourself and degrade mm. the other people around you? That is what keeping it real is. You can't say you're keeping it real because you're keeping it in jail or you're keeping it in That's yeah. what saying change and we've got we've got to stop okay i'm from the end as i said mm. i'm from east london i'm proud of where i'm from in east london i'm proud of that and i'm proud that i've come out of that but at the same time i'm not letting my roots define who i am because a mm. lot of the guys that i know i knew drug dealers mm. i knew trap i knew serious guys i've seen guns i've seen mm. those type of things bro you know what i mean but i can't allow that to define who i am most definitely if we, if we if we if we do that then we are playing into that stereotype. We have yeah. got to start, instead of saying, oh, the government, the government, the government, the government, the government, the government. The government's going to do what the government's going to do. The mm. government's a machine in of itself, right? And as you said, is it going to benefit in some way? Is it really going to benefit them? Is it really going to benefit? And I'm not saying it even in a militant way. What I'm saying is that there's certain class, they said, for example, I think, what's it is annoying me? I think 5%... I don't want to tell lies, but basically there's a, a small minority of people who go to private school, the top private schools. I think it's like 5 to 10%. But if you look at the top, top jobs in the country, top jobs, whether it's barristers, lawyers, doctors, 75% of those guys 
went to private school. So from a 5% minority, wow. 85% of the top jobs, yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a system, there is an, un, there's a, there's an uh, inherent unfairness. So when you're coming and you're rocking up with your pants sagging and you're talking about, I'm going to kill this, up this, what, you're going to come, you're playing into their hands because what you're showing is you're showing them you're not somebody worthy of respect. You're not somebody worthy. And I'm not saying you have to speak the Queen's English or talk like them or you have to change yourself. But what I'm saying is, like, the biggest thing we should take from Chadwick Boseman is we need to do things that bring us dignity, that bring us dignity and bring us respect, where we feel that we can respect ourselves and that we can respect the other people around them. And I don't think you have to change who you are to do that. And that's where we need to go. That's, That's amazing, man. That's amazing. I can only add one more like last piece to that is that oh. when you were talking about sort of like the, the Black Lives Matter stuff and only focusing on a particular thing mm. is to me, I think if we if we were to look at like morality as, mm. as a wholesome, the, mm. the fight, I think the fight will be more powerful. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. it's like every time a wrong is done, we mm. we, we we approach that wrong full, mm. with full force. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Because mm-hmm. what happens is, because one thing I'm, I'm realizing culturally is that when you pick a subculture, there's always going to be an opposition. Mm-hmm. And when you have two oppositions, you're never, ever bringing anyone to your side. You're just creating a bigger divide between the two. Mm-hmm. So if I say right now, yeah, I like, I, I like blue T-shirts and I hate white T-shirts mm-hmm. and I'm never going to wear this T-shirt ever again, you're going to be offended by that because you're mm-hmm. wearing a white T-shirt. Mm-hmm. But if I say, okay, in the name of all T-shirts, we're going we're gonna to look for T-shirts, we're going to find a T-shirt together mm-hmm. which fits both of us perfectly, which we're both accepting and understanding of, mm-hmm. it makes the fight that much more stronger. And that's why I think unity on a wholesome level is, is, is more beneficial. Because the way I see it is like, look, whenever I hear anyone, whenever I hear a death, so I've done something which I shouldn't have done because it's kind of depressed me now. Yeah, I spent the last two and a half weeks watching Chicago documentaries. I don't know what happened. I've just, I went into a really dark rabbit hole because I started watching one or two and then I got hooked on it because, you know, we're hooked on violence as human beings. And I was watching all of this stuff, but then I started thinking about it. I was like, rah. This stuff is deep, man. This is my people. And then I started, I started feeling their pain. I'm seeing young black boys getting, like, their heads blown up. I'm seeing eight-year-old kids having barbecue and then bullets flying through the window. This is real-life stuff, real-life documentaries. And I spent the last two weeks watching tons of these documentaries because it became more investigative and I became more, like, hurt by it. And I thought, wait, hold on. Okay, I understand Black Lives Matter, the, the actual group or the business or whatever, is there to, mm-hmm. it's, it's there against like police brutality and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But the name is very powerful. So the name makes you go under the assumption that it stands for all black lives. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fighting a systemic issue, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a bit of, I don't know, me personally, I find that slightly problematic because sure. I think it causes a bit of a clash. All lives matter because people, again, it's that thing of why does only black lives matter? And I try to explain, it's not about, look, as I said, because right. in, I believe in unity and diversity. If you look yeah. at any system, and it's not only a human system, we could talk even about na- nature, they talk about biodiversity. Mm. If you have too much of one thing, the, the, the whole thing dies. So for example, yeah. in, um, not Mississippi, in Florida, uh, there were snakes like anacondas that were brought in from, I don't know, Brazil, because people wanted them as pets and they let them go in the water. Rather than keep them or kill them, they literally just threw them into the Everglades. Now they've got a big problem because it's a it's a foreign predator, and all the fit um, again. Forgive me, I'm I'm not a biologist, but basically the wildlife that is there is being eaten by these snakes, okay, and it's killing all the natural wildlife there. So now people are going to hunt these snakes. 
Because what they're saying is if, if these snakes eat up too much, they're going to kill everything off. And it's kind of like, in a way, what we're doing to the environment is human beings. If we continue to do what we're doing to the environment, we're going to make this planet uninhabitable because there has to be a, a, a diversity. There's got to be enough of everything and things in its right parts. And it's the same with human society. If you look at the ancient empires, like the Roman empires and whatnot, and again, I've been looking at a lot of black history, there wasn't the, these issues of racism or whatnot. In fact, there was, there was generals that were black, famous generals that were black. Mm. Even we had a black, I think one of the third or fourth popes was a black man from Africa, you know? Mm. Where you have diverse systems or where you have systems where you've got a lot of different types of thought and culture, that is where you get those breakthroughs. That is where you get that creativity. That is, and that's why I think, when I think, look at things like hip hop, the reason why hip-hop has taken over the planet is because hip-hop combines so many, if you look at the tenets of hip-hop in the sense of mm. yeah, graffiti and breakdancing, yeah, um, toasting, fashion, everything. fashion. Mm. And what happened was it created an ecosystem. So mm. when I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, I don't want people to think I'm against white people or what not. I'm not against anybody. And I believe in the diversity of thought. And I believe, what I believe in, fiercely, is representation. So, for example, yeah. you are... <laughs> If I'm, look, I'm a black male and I go to an Asian area, you know, in fact, before I get myself into trouble, let, well, let me backtrack so I'm, I clarify. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that there should be proportional representation of everybody, okay, and a diversity of thought. If we cannot do that, we are never, and I said this to my friend, this will not be the last protest or riot. In fact, I think every 10 years, cyclically, we've done that because what you have got is you've got people who are clearly in power and they know what they're doing which are oppressing other people and what people don't factor in in the, in the uk is the issue of class as well we don't factor that in they are yeah. white it's people. more classism here than it is racism yeah. as overtly as is in america for instance they are white people that have been treated just as yeah. bad in some cases <laughs> even worse than, than 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 black people here so everything you're saying is absolutely spot on and we need to find that unity as a species because if we don't unfortunately We've got leaders that are in place who are thriving off division. That's how they're getting their votes or their fan bases. We know who they are. Mm. We've got you, leaders that are planning. But if unless we come together to solve these problems, yeah. we're going to find ourselves in a dark place as, as a race. Yeah. You know, And these 20, 2020 will not be a one-off. Everyone's saying we hope it's a one-off. But unless we change our thinking and change the way we do things, it won't. So that's what we've got to do, man. Yeah, amazing, man, Carl, man. I can't, I can't thank you enough, man. I love like, it. Thank you. <laughs> your your wealth of knowledge is amazing. I always, always appreciate talking to you and catching up, man. Definitely, we should do this more often. I think because yeah. you know what? Because I, I got a lot of, from our last one. I got a lot of calls from um mm. like teacher friends and stuff like that that, that listened to on Spotify. Though, like, yo, he, he's 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 spot on about like the classroom stuff. And I was like, yeah, go and get the book then, bro. But yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like, <laughs> the bag, I'm trying Me, to get the bag out you know the thing is. <laughs> Me, I'm a promoter of everything and everyone. As long as, like, I think you got something worthwhile to say and something that that can be like positively contribute to to society and 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 to people in general, then I'm always down to push it, man. I'm always down to promote. I'm always down to help and as, as well. And I'm always willing to offer offer my and services, man. And definitely, I think you're doing great work, man. And like I, the way I see, it, wherever I go, I'm bringing you along, man. And wherever oh, you go, I'm, I'm I'll be right knocking on your door, man, saying I'm here, bro. <laughs> And it's, it's vice versa. As we, you know, when we spoke offline, we we're looking at ways to collaborate and looking at ways to do yeah. things. And brother, I've got such respect for you. I'm not even gassing you, man. I mean, what you're doing because your podcast for me is so diverse. 
in sense of the, I, I, that's why I love diverse thought and and you yeah. you kind of what you don't realize you're doing is going back to that wicked kind world and wicked world. You have mm. taken all these different things and you're using these different things to create something new and it's innovative. And I think yeah. you said you know you know you're, you're getting exponential growth. I don't think it's accidental, bro, because I think that's what people need. People now are learning. And sorry, just really, really super quickly, when we look at the social media thing, social media mm. by design is, de is designed to divide us. Because yeah. that's the problem. So if I keep on watching, I don't know, Tyson Fury hates everybody on my YouTube. That's I'll all you get. I'll keep <laughs> you. So you're in an echo chamber. That's what happened to me in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> they kept on sending you more, um, more of these things. But what you've done, that's why I think it's brilliant. Because what you're persuading people to do is say, look, look at it from this perception. Look at it from this perception. So one of your podcasts is technology. One's on education. One's on human evolution. And I think it's brilliant. And the, the fact that you can anchor it so well, not many people can do that, bro. So you know oh, what? I appreciate that, man. It's a vice versa. No. no, we're definitely going to catch up again, man, Carl. It's, yeah. been, it's been a pleasure, man. Definitely, it's been a pleasure. Thank so you. So I'm going to have to love you and leave you for the evening, man. Appreciate it. Because I know you're, you're back seeing the students tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah, no problem. So no, thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. good luck with that, man. You know what I mean? This is for <laughs> Chadwick, man. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Keep me posted, brother. And if you need anything, holler at me. Yeah. Oh, definitely appreciate that, yeah. Stay safe. Yeah. Take care. Bro.